Good morning, church family. If you have your Bible, open those to the book of Revelation. That's where we will be today, the book of Revelation. It's always an honor to be here at church and to pastor this body. Uh, To kind of give you a heads up about something really quick, we will return to the Gospel of John in two weeks. But for the next two weeks, we're going to pause before we re-enter that Gospel. And for the next two weeks, we're going to discuss really two different questions. Next week is going to be, where are we going as a church? What is the vision that God has for us as a body of believers? And then this week, we're answering the question, who are we? We're kind of looking at our DNA, at our wiring to see how God has uniquely made us. That's what we're discussing today. And the passage that I felt that really hits the nail on the head of kind of who we are as a church is described in a church of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now, if you see this passage, there's a, uh, he's commending them for some actions, but then he admonishes them for something else. Today, rather than indicting us, I'm going to kind of encourage us, some of the characteristics we see in the Church of Revelation, but then I'm also going to warn us that if we are not careful, the fate of the Church of Ephesus can be our own. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, that I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, notice the commands here in verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Verse 6. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. My sermon today is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more from here rather than just from my mind. I want to speak to us from my heart, from the headwaters of love flowing into your heart and outflowing to the delta of a new day. Today we answer the question, who are we as a church? Who are we as Calvary Bible Church? What is our DNA? What is our wiring? How God has made us? Why are we put on this planet Earth? Why do we exist? And the Mona Lisa of who we are is described in our mission, our values, our mission measures, and our strategy. That is our orientation and quest today. Before I go on any further, uh, just pray with me for just a second. I just feel the prompting to pray. Heavenly Father, this morning is going to be a little bit different. I, I know that it's not my classic going through the Gospel of John, which we will return to in a couple of weeks. And I know today that I'm probably going to get a little bit up close and personal and probably step on some toes. But Lord, I just, you know, whenever we hear a sermon on mission and vision, there's two reactions that we typically have, one to kind of tune out and one to kind of tune in. 
And Lord, I just pray that we would peel back kind of our preconceived notions, that we would allow your spirit to work in your word and to change our lives. And I pray for unity and a love of one another and a love of your future and of you. And I lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Rewind with me to about a month ago. About a month ago, I met with a 65-year-old man. We were meeting together. This 65-year-old man and I were meeting at Taco Mama. If you've ever been there before, it's good. Uh, we were just talking about life. And this man, sitting across the table from me, he has it all. He is the embodiment of the American dream. He started from nothing and now this man that I met with that is just sitting across the table, now this man is a multimillionaire. He drives a car more expensive than my house. Uh, he had a very successful career. He owned a very prosperous business. Uh, he had wonderful children. He has slews of grandchildren. This man, by every definition of the American dream, he has it all. And yet there was something missing. And he knew it. As we talked about life, and he said, hey, we're just sitting there at the table, and, and I know this guy. I mean, he has everything that the world tells you that you should have in order to be happy and successful. And we were just sitting there discussing life, and this man said something I will never forget. It's been ingrained in my mind since that day. He said, Byron, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. He's 65, and he has it all. And he said to me, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Friends, I don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be us as Calvary Bible Church. That we get to our 65th anniversary, which is coming up in about nine years. And we ask the question, what do we want to do when we grow up? What are we here to do? And as I reflected upon his story, I realized that a lot of churches are just like him. You know, many churches live the American dream. They have success in size. Many churches have nice buildings and lots of people. Many churches live the dream, but not God's dream. Many churches have no idea why God has put them on planet Earth. Friends, listen to me. I shared this a couple weeks ago. I don't want to be that church. I want to be that church. I want to be a church that doesn't just exist, that, that, that's on 607 Drake Avenue. And when I describe who we are, and I say, okay, we're the church at 607 Drake Avenue. As you get to the top of the hill, and they say, okay, are you Covenant Presbyterian? I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, you're the one that far from the Drake Avenue. That's kind of how we are identified. Right before you get to Randolph Elementary, we're kind of that church rather than that church. And I believe the way that we walk in to become that church, the, the church that is on the hill, a city set on a hill, and the light of the world, a church that makes a difference is by first understanding how God has wired us. And that is our quest today. I want to be a church that leaves God's thumbprints on millions. I want us to be the church that God wants us to be. Not the church that I want us to be, not the church that you want us to be, but the church that God wants us to be, that understands our uniqueness and then lives out that uniqueness for His glory. So who are we? 
Who are we as Calvary Bible Church? If you have your Bible, turn in those to Revelation chapter 2. That's kind of where we will be today. I will jump around to a bunch of different passages to describe some of our values and things like that. But as you turn to Revelation chapter 2, as you may know, over the last year or so, the elders decided about a year and a half ago to embark on a journey to define how God has made us. To discover our uniqueness, our mission, and our vision for the future. So we assembled a football team, so to speak. We assembled the all-star crew of of core Calvary members to decide God's playbook for our future. And some of the members on that team, I'll just say their names, Jim and Belinda Acock, Dwight Waldrop, Herb Justinger, Jacob Yarborough, Jacob Bickle, Dave and Kim Repolesk, Michael Jansen, James Galden, Dustin Drake, and Laurel and yours truly. And after a year, we spent a year, I'm sure some of them felt like it was three years, but it was just a year. After spending a year kind of walking through how God has designed us, we have arrived at a conclusion, and that's what I would like to share with you today. We're going to return to the Gospel of John in two weeks, but today we really talk about who are we as a church, and then next week, where are we going as a church. And the church that I felt that really defined Who we were the best is the church in Revelation, the church of Ephesus. Now today, if you saw your passage, John writes the book of Revelation first as commending them for two actions, but then he indicts them for one thing. I don't want to do that today. That's not my intention. My intention is to commend us for the same things that they did in the first century, but then to warn us that if we are not careful, we face the same fate of the church of Ephesus. Now, Revelation chapter 2, when we enter the text, let us kind of quickly remember where we are in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos was a small island west of modern-day Turkey. It is an island in the middle of the world's largest sea called the Mediterranean. The book of Revelation is, in a sense, God's victory lap. God spends the book of Revelation displaying his championship over sin, bringing the redeemed into paradise at the end, and his journey to get there throughout. And if you are looking for the outline of the book of Revelation, you kind of want to orient yourself how this book is put together. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 is that outline. It says this, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you. From him who is, who was, and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. So chapter 1 is who was, chapter 2 is who is, and chapters 4 through 21 is who will be. So our passage is in the who is. In the who has section, John, the, the apostle John is speaking to seven different churches. Five of the seven he indicts, and two of them he just commends. Today is one he indicts on a charge. And if you have your Bible, specifically in this passage, it kind of went from there all the way down to our specific passage. If you have your Bible open in front of you, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, breaks down into three sections. Just like any good preacher, we have to have three and no more and no less, okay? I don't know why that is. Um, but you have... Verse 1 is the address. Verses three through, 2 through 3 is the attaboy. Okay, good, the good job. And then verses 4 through 7 is the admonishment. Notice verse 1. Notice the address. 
to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one, who is the one there? Jesus Christ. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking. What is he talking about? There's kind of some interesting things going on there. There's a lot of metaphors. And if you notice, I, th- I imagine you have three different questions this morning. Number one is, who is the church of Ephesus? What's up with the seven stars? And what's up with the seven golden lampstands? The church of Ephesus itself, if you're familiar with that church, it was planted by Paul or started by Paul in Acts chapter 18. And according to Acts chapter 20, Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus. And if you were to just read the book of Ephesians, how many of you have ever read the book of Ephesians? Okay, probably all of us. And if you read the book of Ephesians, you probably know what kind of church we're dealing with. The church of Ephesians is deep to say the least, which kind of tells you something about this church, that the Christians that are in the city of Ephesus, they're, they're like this peloton, this, this group of summa cum laude Christian scholars. Okay, There's this collection of really smart, really dedicated believers in the church of Ephesus. Now compare the book of Ephesians to the book of Corinthians. If you compare those letters, then you know something about both churches, right? The church in Corinthians is like a frat party, okay? Just craziness. And the church of Ephesians is a bunch of really smart people that God has assembled in one of the most important cities in the ancient world. So you have in verse 1, you have the address, you have this church of Ephesus' address, and then you have the seven stars, that represents the seven messengers sent to the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches of Revelation, so you have seven messengers with, given to seven different churches with seven unique messages. And what is the message of the church of Ephesus? Notice verse 2 and 3. He gives them two attaboys. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Whenever you watch a football game, now I'm assuming most of us in this room have watched a football game this year. It's back on TV. And to be brutally honest, I know this is blasphemy in Alabama, but I still have not watched one single game. And I'm going to get more flack for that than anything, okay, after the service today. Okay, but if you notice, if you ever watch a football game, when somebody does something well, what does a coach typically do? He kind of slaps them, right, and then says, attaboy or good job. And that's what Paul is, or excuse me, that's what John is doing in verses 2 through 3. And if you notice, there are two things that he commends them for. First thing is found in verse 2 is that they love truth. And that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles. The church in Ephesus cannot stand evil men. They put to test apostles to make sure that their word is true. In the original language, it literally says, and you do not have the patience to endure evil. And then John commends them for number two, is that they endure. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. Those four words, have not grown weary, are two words. And one word is not, but then have grown weary is the Greek perfect tense verb, which is a past event with continuing ongoing results that in the past they made a choice to endure and not grow weary, and they have continued not being weary to this day. 
I think that describes us. This week when I read the book of Revelation, and I read Revelations chapter 2, verse 2 through 3, I thought of us. I thought of the 56 years that we have been in existence. As many of you know, I have been part of this church for almost three decades, which is crazy for me to say that. I started coming here to church when I was eight years old. And when I read this passage, I thought of us, that we cannot tolerate evil. That if you, if you preach in this pulpit, right, uh, you better know your stuff, okay? You better proclaim the truth or what's going to happen in the hallway following service. And rightfully so. There's a, there's a lot of pressure on this guy every Sunday morning to say the truth. And I appreciate that accountability. I'm not in any way deriding it. Thank you. It makes me care. I care more than just what y'all say. But, but the number two, the, the second thing I see here is that the church of Ephesus, they love the truth which marks us. That is part of our DNA, and it should continue. That's why I spent two years going through the Gospel of John. It it probably would be another year when we step back into John 14. We care about truth. And we endure. And I've been here for 30 years, almost. I started coming here in the early 90s, and some of you here today, I know that you have endured that you have the scar tissue on your heart and your souls from all of the arguments and fights that we've had since the 80s up until the big boom in the early 2000s. Many people online that are tuning in today that cannot physically be here because you are some of our older saints, you have been faithful not only to the truth, but faithful to this church, and you have endured, and you have not grown weary. Let me just say something really quick. Thank you. Thank you to the older saints that are in this room, and all the more that are tuning in online. Thank you for persevering. Thank you for not growing weary. I know that many of you have walked through some difficult storms and dark days in this church Thank you for persevering. Thank you for enduring. Thank you for not growing weary. And John commends them for this behavior. He commends them that they love truth, that they put out false apostles, that they endure. But here's the catch. Here's the admonishment, friends. If we are not careful, we can have the exact same fate as the church of Ephesus. It's not our fate currently, but if we are not careful, we can end up just like them. Notice verse 4. So he commends them, 2 through 3, and then he has this word but, showing contrast. That is the Greek word Allah. Okay, not Allah, but Allah. It's the word but in the original language. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. A little note here, the original language in verse... Four is very strong, or we would say emphatic. But I want you to notice in your text something with me. Notice a plural or a singular. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Is that word singular or plural? It is singular. He doesn't say that you have left your first loves, but you have left your first 
love. So what is John doing? He is commending them for loving truth, for enduring, for persevering, for not growing weary. But they have left their first love. What is he saying? That you have left your love for Jesus Christ. In other words, their heart has grown cold. That they have abandoned the love for Jesus Can this happen? How many of you have ever met a Christian that is just mean? Okay. I would imagine every single one of us in this room has met a Christian that loved the truth, that endured really, really well, but they have no love in their heart. <laughs> okay. How many of us really like dealing with that person? We just, okay, we just, they're, they're nuclear and toxic. Sorry, I just bumped the projector. We all have met people that have abandoned their love for Jesus. We've all met Christians that are bullies and that have no love in their heart. How many of you have met a Christian that is empty of love? That Christian is the embodiment of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. What's the problem in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4? That they love truth, they endure well, but their heart for Jesus has grown cold. Let me just speak. If we are not careful as a church, that fate can be ours. That if we are more consumed for being right, and I say that in quotations, if we are more consumed for being right than we are for loving God and loving others and loving non-believers, then guess what our fate is? Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. Being right over loving him and loving others causes us to slip into a word that's called legalism. Can I, 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 some of you here today have been here longer than I have, and so some of you probably could kind of correct this ideology and this note. And by the way, I'm really just speaking from this right here today, and I'm just going to be blunt today. And, and if I step on your toes, then I apologize, but not really. Okay. Um, but if, would you really love the truth and you endure, but you have no love in your heart? Guess what marks you? Not only are you a mean person that no one wants to be around, but you also probably slip into something we call legalism. Legalism is making up extra-biblical rules to judge others by. The, the rules that aren't in the Bible, that we just kind of make up because we prefer things, but really aren't in the Bible, and then we take those little preferences and these little ways of justifying in the Bible and all these verses that we try to make fit our preferences, they really just don't, and we club people other with it. Let me pop quiz you here today. We all, can I, before I pop quiz you, um, we all, to a little bit, struggle with a little bit of legalism. I know that I'm, I'm not perfect either, but I hope that that's not marking us. Pop quiz. I'm going to test you if you struggle with legalism, Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm a little bit nervous about giving this pop quiz. Okay. Uh, <laughs> pop quiz. What if we put a drum set up on stage? There's no Bible verses against that. 
<laughs> I gotta do it. Okay, and then some people, ooh, okay. What if I put a disco ball up on stage? Ooh, I'm not gonna do that, cause I don't, I'd have to grow the fro, okay? And I got no hair left. What if I came to church in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops? There's no, where in the Bible it says I can't do that. Legalism creeps in like a night, like a robber in the night. Legalism creeps in like a robber in the night. It slowly finds its way in, and before we know it, we live with it every day. Becoming the church of Ephesus is not impossible, but if we are not careful, if we do not love our first love, if we do not have a love for Jesus and a love for other people and a love for non-believers, then let me just tell you that Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 is our fate. How do we avoid this fate? How do we, how do we commend ourselves for our love of truth and our endurance, but how do we avoid betraying our first love? Well, actually, the answer to that question is found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, which I'll talk about more in just a minute. But also, our, our mission statement describes what are we here to do. Sorry, I just messed up the projector. Thank you, Thomas. Our mission here at Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ. Now pause for just That's the church in Ephesus. That they are really good at loving truth, calling out false teaching, calling out false prophets. That's us in a nutshell. That's wonderful. I'm not downplaying that. The mission of Calvary Bible Church is to make biblical followers of Christ. That is great. That is what we are here to do. To teach the scripture. To help us apply it. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To make disciples and to send them out. That's what we're here for. But the way we prevent becoming Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 is the latter part. The mission of Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships. And there, are, notice that word relationships. If you have that little handout that we passed out, the shiny one, um, if you notice that word in the end of our mission statement is plural, which means something that we have to have a love for God, a love for one another, and a love for non-believers. That is the way that our heart does not grow cold. That is the way we do not abandon our first love. That we have a relationship with the Lord, and we have a relationship with other believers. And we have relationships with non-believers. Um, this week I was sitting in a conference room with my friend. And I just really described the third relationship that has just really been growing in my heart and my mind over the last year. That there has been a, a mere spark before. But now the Lord, I feel like, is just fanning the flame brighter and brighter each day. That there is a a passion of mine to begin to reach the lost. But friends, listen to me. But not just the lost out in Kenya, but the lost across Drake Avenue. Can I just say that again? We should have a burden to send out missionaries, and that's a great thing, to Kenya and to Colombia and to Guatemala. That is a wonderful thing. But our heart should also be to reach the non-believers across Drake Avenue. That is, that is one of the reasons why two weeks ago we proposed basically the Good News Park, the Good News Playground, where basically we are inviting our community onto our property to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking our, our land, something that God has blessed us with, and many of you have been generous to buy in a lot of ways. 
how can we use what God has given us to reach the people that are across Drake Avenue or the people that are behind us in all of these houses that sit there, that wonder, what's that church all about? They have a lot of land, but what's they all, what are they all about? I want to reach the lost, non-believers. How can we reach not just the people in Kenya, but Ashley Patton, who is a person that lives on Bar Cody, right across the street. She has three young children. How will they hear the gospel? They can find it on Google. They can find it on YouTube. How can we uniquely use the blessings that God has given us to reach non-Christians? That is our mission. We are here to make biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships, a relationship with God, a relationship with other believers, and a relationship with non-believers. So back to your text in Revelation chapter 2, we see John's address in verse 1, and we see his attaboy in verses 2 through 3, and we see his admonishment in verses 4 through 7. So he admonishes them, he corrects them, he indicts them, so to speak, and if we're not careful, that is our fate as well. If we care more for me than we do for him and we... But then notice how he tells them to get out of it. Verse 5. Therefore, he brings things to a conclusion. Therefore, notice the three commands, the three Greek imperatives. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what you were before. He's probably talking to second generation of Christians in the church of Ephesus. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Verse 6, yet this you do have. They, they love truth that you hate the deeds of the fleshly Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear from what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. In order to return to Christ as the first love, they must remember the imperative, they must repent, and then they must do the deeds they did before. Friends, right now, Today, you know, I have seen the build-up until this day. And right now, I feel like we're on the knife's edge. There is a mountain in Colorado called Capitol Peak. It's a 14,000-foot mountain. The only way to actually summit that mountain is to walk along a path called the knife's edge. Now, if that doesn't sh- send uh, shivers up your spine, okay, I don't know what will. Um, but there's this path, and literally this path is about two feet wide. And if you fall to the left or you fall to the right, you are part of the boulder field below. I feel like that's us, that we have a summit before us. We have a mission, and we have a choice that we can either walk the path that God has for us or we can pull each other down and tear each other apart and become part of the boulder field of churches that have come and gone on planet Earth. The question is, is will we pull each other down or will we walk the path to the summit that God has for us? Oftentimes, churches do not implode or explode, they really erode from negativity or selfishness or a desire to be right rather than a desire to love right. I saw, personally speaking, a church erode from the inside out. There was just one negative comment here and another there, sprinkle in some gossip, sprinkle in some complaints. 
and quite literally that church eroded and it is absolutely no more. It has disappeared. Someone who is concerned for being right than they are for loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God and loving other believer, or non-believers is the epitome of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. That is our mission, and now let us turn to our values. If you have your sheet in front of you, the values, and, and I know some of you that the mission and values seems a little bit weird. I remember as a 24-year-old, the mission statement of Enterprise Rent-A-Car as if I cared about it then. Okay, uh, it was on our wall and I was like, okay, whatever that means. But really it helps define who we are. Our values really say, why do we do what we do? It is the lens or the filter on how we kind of make decisions. Value number one is that we disciple biblically. I mean, I don't really have to explain that, to be honest. That's kind of us. We know and love the truth. That's the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Number, value number two is that we pray expectantly. We pray expecting God to answer. And that's part of our DNA. Every Wednesday night we have a prayer meeting that we pray together. But we should also expand it beyond that. We should pray with other believers outside of just Wednesday night, in addition to, and pray expectantly. Can I just pick on all Christians in the room, every one of us in this room? We pray not expecting God to work. Would you agree with that? How many times have we prayed something like this? Okay, Lord, I pray for Dorothy, and I pray that you heal her. What's next? If it be your will. <laughs> okay. I mean, we all pray that. Right? Amen. I mean, we, but that's not really praying expecting God to move. That's not praying expecting God to give an answer. Let us pray to the sovereign God of the universe that He will work through our prayers. What does it say in James chapter 5? This is how we should pray. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then Elijah prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Value one, value two, and then value three are kind of already in our DNA to some degree. Value number three is that we invest outwardly. This is... Uh, have been, this has been part of our wiring since the beginning of time. We, here at Calvary Bible Church, we give generously to missions. That is a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, I, I, I had a guy come in and, and, and say, y'all give 20%? Wow, that's crazy. Because a lot of churches don't do it, and that's a wonderful thing. And believe it or not, that percentage has, has shifted between 35% and closer to actually 15% in the early 90s. This is a wonderful thing that we invest outwardly. But friends, listen to me. The non-believers in Kenya are just as important as the non-believers on Drake Avenue. The non-believers in Guatemala are just as important as the non-believers in South Huntsville. That's the distinction. That we have to start thinking, okay, not only should we send money to missions that go overseas, and that is a wonderful thing. Do not get me wrong. That is a wonderful part of our DNA, and let us celebrate that. But the people that are lost and dying here are just as important. How can we reach them? Not just them. 
Value number four is that we bridge selflessly. Now, what does that mean? Now, uh, I think this is an aspirational value in a lot of churches, and some of these values and mission measures are we are working towards it. But value number four is that we bridge selflessly, to put it bluntly, that we as everyone, individuals, not just corporately, but we as individuals, we check our preferences at the door. We check our preferences at the door. We don't build up additional rules that aren't really in the Bible to then judge others by. That instead of coming to church for me, we come to church for him and we. What does it say in Philippians chapter 2? It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. If churches actually did that, what would a church look like? If they did it at all times, I think sometimes we do it in segments and at pieces and at times. But if we all did that every moment of every day, every time we came to church, and every time somebody gets sick of the church, what would church look like? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I'm going to give you another pop quiz. How can you tell... How can you tell if you come to church for yourself? How can you tell if you come to church for yourself? My last quiz, I was very nervous. This one, I'm extremely nervous. Okay, all right. How can you tell if you come to church for yourself? If you complain. Constantly complain. I don't mind fielding a complaint every once in a while. That's fine. That's part of being with people. Sheep stink. I stink. Just don't go over to my house, okay, unannounced. We all are messy. But if you constantly complain, what does that tell me? Is that you are looking out for probably yourself and not for him and we over me. I have... People have, I've been here for four years and I was part of a church that really complained beforehand. We don't really complain as much as other churches. We're actually pretty good about that, believe it. I really affirm that. But there was another church in town, man. It was complaining about everything. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, there was one degree too hot. It was, the, the wall paint was off. It smelled bad. I mean, the, the pews were in bad shape. As if any of that mattered. <laughs> okay? When we come to church, We should be about him and other people. Checking our preferences at the door. We bridge selflessly. When we come to church, we don't come for ourselves, but we come for him and for other people. And then value number five is we innovate actively. We want a culture of continual improvement. We live in a town that is tech-savvy, that is always way more advanced than I am in tech. I'm kind of the uh, arc, the technological dinosaur. I'll be the guy in 50 years that still has a flip phone. Okay, that's going to be me. But we innovate actively. We continue to figure out how to be culturally reaching our people, the people in the community. We innovate actively. But is that a biblical concept? That's kind of the question. Is we innovate actively? Is that, is that something that really is in the Bible? Well, think about it. Acts chapter 17, what does Paul do to reach the lost? He uses the altar of the unknown God to communicate the gospel to these people. 
Friends, listen to me. We should always be thinking of ways to communicate the gospel to an ever-evolving and changing culture. Why can we think that we will just stay stagnant for 56 years and then still be relevant and be able to reach a community of people around us that moved on 56 years ago? Makes no sense. If you noticed here, okay, I've been here for four years, and I would imagine if, you were, if you've been here for any length of time, then you probably have noticed that things continue to evolve, right? Amen? I mean, it's like almost every week I show up and there's something new or different. And I don't even sometimes plan those, believe it or not. You can blame me for it. That's cool. But um, I often don't even plan them anymore. But that's, we should always be evolving. We should always be innovating. We should always be thinking of ways to reach the lost in our community. Our mission answers the question, what are we here to do? Our values answer, why do we do what we do? And our mission measures answer, how do we know when we are successful? How do we know when we are successful in fulfilling our mission and our uniqueness that God has given to us? Now, the five questions that we have on your sheet, and the five questions that I'm going to kind of briefly go over, we, we hope that you would ask yourself every day. Mission measure number one is how am I responding to God today? We measure our success by if we are having a relationship with the Lord that changes our lives personally. Mission measure number two, I realize what time it is and I am going to hurry through this section. How and when and where am I serving God regularly? Part of being a Christian and part of being a healthy body of Christ is for the Christians in the church to serve. What do they say? The church is oftentimes like a football game. You know, you have... 22 people desperately needing rest and 50,000 desperately needing exercise. That is true. Each of us have a gift to exercise within the body of Christ. And oftentimes serving changes you more than it changes someone else. Mission measure number three is who do you have authentic community with here at Calvary Bible Church? If we are making disciples, if we are making biblical followers guys through intentional relationships, part of the relationships that we should have is having authentic relationships with other non-believers. But let's just ask the question, is it really that important? Is it really that important to have authentic community with other believers? Can't we just show up, put on a nice face and a wall and just exist? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship of the breaking of bread and in prayer. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. Mission management number four is who am I equipping for service? This is really the discipleship question. Who are your people? Who are the people that you're equipping and replacing yourself? Who are you mentoring? However you want to label it. Who are you discipling and shaping to be and to, for them to make disciples? Mission, mission measure number five is really the evangelistic mission measure. Is who are we getting to know that may be far from God? Notice that question, how that is intentionally worded. Who are we getting to know that may be far from God? Now, this is not the question, who did you share Jesus with? We have this, um, we have this Billy Graham mindset when it comes to evangelism, and that, I'm not, I'm not um, disparaging that. 
I'm not disparaging that there is a place and a time for that, but we have this kind of view of evangelism that's done by somebody else, or we go to a crusade, or we take them to church. But really, evangelism, the best kind of way, is built up over time. Is that true? What did Jesus do? Jesus shared the gospel more in one-on-one situations than he did even corporately. Think about it. Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman of the well, rich young ruler, Zacchaeus, criminal on the cross, and the list goes on and on and on. Friends, let's just, let me just say something really quick. How do, churches, how do most churches measure their success? The American way, right? Okay, the American dream. Nickels, noses, and nails. How much money is coming in, how many people are in the seats, and how big and nice is your building. Nickels, noses, and nails. That makes me want to vomit. And there's a place for that. Healthy things grow, that if we as a church are really healthy and growing, that these will come as a byproduct of that. But how we truly measure our success is in the mission measures. That is the measure of our disciple-making prosperity. I have on my notes here, and I'm just going to say this statement, and I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. I don't want us to be a church that ministers. I want us to be a church of ministers. Say that again. I don't want to be a church that ministers. I want to be a church of ministers, of people that are missionally minded, that reach the lost, that then shape and equip the next generation and make disciples of all nations in the facility. The way we're going to do this is through small groups, and that is the authentic community piece. That is why we're going in that particular direction. But friends, listen to me. Now, now watch what I'm about to say. The only way for us to become the church that God has for us is for each of us on an individual level to value him and them over me. Him and we over me. If you come to church and you're always consumed with what do I want, what do, what do they have for me, that is going to be an exhausting place to go to church. Let me just preach it. Uh, about 15 years ago, I visited a church here in town. It was a large church. I just visited one time, just this one time, and you know, and I just kind of blended in with all these other college students. And you know, I started doing the broken record, which we all have. We all have this type of mentality. That I start, you know, you know, I feel alone. You know, no one's talking to me. No one's ministering to me. No one's saying hi. And then I felt God just kind of swooped down out of the sky and kick me in the rear end um, and just put a thought in my mind, if you want to feel welcome, then you welcome. If you want to feel like you belong in this group, then you make somebody else feel like they belong. So I literally turned around. It's the only time I ever visited that church. But anyways, I turned around and I just shook hands with somebody. And guess what happened? I felt included. I felt like I belonged. If you come to church and you feel like no one knows you and you feel like you just disappear and you don't really fit in or you don't have a group, well, then minister. Be ministers of the gospel. Start a small group. Reach somebody there you don't know. Take them out to lunch. Grow. Help people. Reach the lost. Feel, make somebody else feel welcome. Before I close, allow me to just speak one last note. What will you choose? Not what will we choose, but what will you choose as an individual? Will you choose him and we or me? I don't want us to be that church. 
I want us to be that church. But it will require us to be selfless. I want to be the church on the hill, a city on the hill, a light to the world, showing the gospel to the people, not just at the other end of the globe, but to the people that are sitting right next to us at 605 Drake Avenue. But the question is, what will you choose? Will you walk the knife's edge towards the mission that God has for us, or will you be in the boulder field pulling other people down? The mission of Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships. And what will you choose? My hope is that we choose him and we over me. I hope that we choose to follow the Lord in his direction for our future. Because friends, listen to me. I think the future is bright if we stay united. If we don't grumble amongst ourselves. If we love one another. If we equip the saints for the work of the ministry, I believe the Lord will call, cause us through Oxano to grow. But the choice is not just mine, but it's ours. Him and we over me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. I was a little bit more long-winded than I normally am. Um, maybe I was just extra amped today. Uh, Lord, I just pray for... Lord, I really do believe that you have great things for us in the future, but not measured by nickels, noses, and nails, but measured by what you have given to us to measure our growth and success by. Lord, I just pray for our people. Um, I talked about a lot of hot-button topics, and I probably stepped on a few toes this morning, but that's okay. It's good for us every once in a while. And Lord, I just pray that we would continually love you and love one another and love the non-believers in the community and that we would be known by our love for one another, our love of truth, our love of you and the endurance that we have. I just thank you for this morning. I do thank you for this church. It's part of my identity as a body of believers. I've been part of this church for 30 years and I, and I just love the people. And Lord, I pray that we would not grow tired and weary, that we would continue on to the mission that you have. And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior. I pray for those that their heads are bowed today and that do not have a personal relationship with you, that if they do not know what it means to have a walk with you, that they would believe in you as their Lord and Savior today. That they would not walk out of this building, but at this moment, that they would just believe in you and receive eternal life. I lift this up to you, and I thank you for my church. I love them. I care for my church. I care for each one of them. Be with us the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.